Good morning, friends. How are we? Doing good this morning? Good. Uh, if you do not know, my name is Paul Menti. I'm the student director here at Beach Grove. Um, I just wanted to thank you all just for what an honor it is to come up here and speak to you all and bring the word to you guys. Um, it's just such an honor. Thank you, Matt. Thank all of you. Um, if you would, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew 11. That'll be our passage today, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And as you're turning there, I want to do a really quick social experiment, okay? Really quick social experiment. If you would, raise your hand if you right now feel like you need a nap or anticipate throughout the day that you're going to need a nap. There we go. That's what I thought. Yeah, probably about 80 to 90% of us, right? Double hands back there in the back. She was like, yes, love it. Yeah, so... Uh, speaking of rest, this is kind of going to be our topic for today, is, is finding rest in Jesus. But speaking of rest, it reminds me of this story. Um, we, in my previous church, where I was with Matt, um, we went on a mission trip to Toronto, Canada, okay? And we were doing like a sports camp up there. Um, it was like, I think, a full week, uh, six days, uh, nonstop, working with kids, working sports, okay? So it was an exhausting week. And about the second day in, all of us were like, man, we need a nap, right? All of us were like, we need a break from this work, from these burdens. Um, and Matt ended up giving us a little catchphrase that we would tell ourselves, and it was, I am NT, I am not tired, okay? Every single time one of us was like, oh man, I'm really feeling tired, immediately we would point at each other and be, I am NT, I am NT right, trying to get our mindset back on, I'm not tired, we're here to do this work um, for the Lord, all right. Um, honestly, you know, rest is something that is really sought after in this world that we live in. It's very hard to find time to rest um, physically, but not just physically, but spiritually as well. Um, in this passage today, we'll see that Jesus invites us, the tired and burdened people, to find real rest for our souls and for our physical selves as well. Um, so just think about how much more important soul rest is than physical rest, right? Um, if your soul is restless, then that just throws off your whole entire day. It throws off your life when your soul is restless. I think of this quote um, by St. Augustine where he's talking about how, um, how God, we were made for God and that we were made by God as well, made by God for God, and that without God, our souls are restless. We don't know what to do as human beings. Um, and he has this really good quote in his book, uh, The Confessions. He says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. I think that really just summarizes what we're about to find in this passage today. Um, so if you're already there, um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 is what we're going to be reading. I have four points today. The first one is the invitation. The second is the invited. The third is the inviter. And the fourth is the rest. Okay, so let's read this passage to, together and just prepare our hearts and minds for uh, what the Lord has to say today. So Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and, I, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Let's pray. Um, our Father and our God, um, this is your time. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand who you are better today, God, um, that you are gentle towards us, um, Lord, that you are offering us rest should we come to you. I just pray that you would help us now as we dive into this passage to listen to what you have to say, Lord, um, and just and have the ears to hear and the, and the wills to hear as well, Lord. Um, in your name I pray, amen. Okay, my first point, the invitation. Okay, we see the invitation in verse 28 and through the first part of verse uh, 29 as well. The invitation, let's read it again here. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So here's Jesus' invitation to burdened people, tired people. He says, come to me, right? Initially, we see that this is not a come to fill in the blank, someone else, some human, some, uh, some, some other person, but it's come to me. He's talking about himself. Come to Jesus. He's the source of true spiritual rest. Come to Jesus means that your obedience is necessary, right? That Jesus is inviting you, but you have to obey. You have to obey that call. Um, I also see, you know, when he says, come to me, it, it reminds me of how in Acts 4.12, um, the disciples, when giving the gospel to the people, say that, um, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. There's no other person by which you can find this spiritual rest. Um, so we are invited to come by Jesus here, we see. And then also we see what happens when we come in verse 29, the very beginning of it, where he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So what can we expect when we come to Jesus? We can expect to take on his yoke and to learn from him. What, is, what does he mean here when he says, take my yoke, right? What is a yoke? Okay, I'm not talking about some eggs. What is a yoke, right? This is a kind of, most of us know what it is, um, but it's not really used nowadays in modern times, unless you're a farmer. I don't know if you still use it or not, but I'm not a farmer, so I don't know. Um, but a yoke was a heavy piece of wood that would hold two oxen, oxen, I think it is, together as they were to carry a cart or plow a field. Basically, the, um, the person driving the cart would steer the oxen using this yoke. Okay? They would pull one way, the oxen would go that way. Right? That yoke was a heavy piece of wood that held them together and that they had to carry, um, but that the, um, the farmer would direct. Okay? So from this, we can see that Jesus is clearly symbolizing something here. Right? He's not just using this term flippantly. Right? He's symbolizing what it's like to follow him. Um, we see that... This symbolizes submission. Think of the oxen in that moment, right? They're under this yoke, and they can't really get away. They can't leave. They can't, you know, do their own thing. They're under submission to the one controlling them. And we see that the master is the one that directs the oxen, right? In the same way, the master is the one who directs us. Um, that's why it is called a yoke, right? Um, it's interested, interesting here um, that... Jesus says to take upon his yoke. So in this text, we see that Jesus requires stuff of us, right? That when we come to him, 
we still have a job to do. It's not just all freedom, right? It is freedom, of course, but it's not just all freedom. We have tasks that we are to do for Jesus. Um, So what is his yoke? Let's think about this. What is his yoke? Yes, there are things that Jesus requires of us when we're under his yoke, but we see in verse 30 here that his yoke is not burdensome. That's the difference here between our previous yoke, which we'll talk about in a minute, and the yoke that we have with Jesus. Uh, Verse 30 says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, This reminds me of 1 John 5, 3, um, which I think should be on the screen here. It says, for this is the love of God or the love which we have for God, how we demonstrate that love. It says that we keep his commandments and that his commandments are not burdensome. So if you love God, the things that he asks you to do aren't burdensome. They're not weighing you down, right? They're a joy to do the things that the Lord requires of you, right? That's why his yoke is easy and it's light. So this is Jesus' invitation here to come so that you may bear a new yoke, a lighter yoke, an easier yoke, um, and so that you may find true spiritual rest. So the question remains, who does Jesus invite? Okay, that gets me to my second point, which is the invited, which we also see in verse 28. Let's read it together here. So it says, come to me, and he answers who he wants to come to him. Right here he says, all who labor and are heavy laden. So who's qualified to come to Jesus, right? Who, in this this context, who is Jesus extending his invitation to? We see that it's heavy laden laborers. Okay, that's who Jesus extends this invitation to. People who are heavy laden and tired and worn out. Um, In the context, we need to know why were the people that Jesus was speaking to in this moment, why were they heavy laden? Um, And in the context, it's the Pharisees, okay? The Pharisees are the troublemakers, right? They were adding upon the law of God, okay? So just as an example, the Pharisees added for one law, the law to, keep the, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, that law, just for that one, they added 600 regulations on top of that that the people had to keep, okay? That is an incredible burden to remember all 600 of those things and then to keep all 600 of those things or else you broke that law, right? That's an incredible spiritual weight to bear for these people. And Jesus knows about this, right? He's seen the Pharisees at work. He knows clearly this burden that, he, that the Pharisees were placing on people. But I want to also show how, you know, we, we don't always, we don't add 600 regulations to laws of God, but we do this today, right? We do this today. Some ways that we do this would be checking off boxes, okay? That's a big one. In our spiritual lives, we would like to just check off all the boxes. We have our list of, okay, um, you know, I'm going to read my Bible today. I'm going to pray today. I'm going to uh, uh, evangelize today. All good things, right? All good things. But the problem lies in when you check off those boxes and you might miss one, right? You might miss one for the day. And then all of a sudden you feel as though God's wrath is on you, right? The problem lies in where you check off those boxes and if you miss one, you just feel like God is mad at you or disappointed with you. You might have some kind of mindset that tells you, you know, if I don't pray or if I don't stick close to this Bible reading plan, then my relationship with God is going to be off, right? I'm going to be not 
one with him anymore. I'm going to be confused and, and dismayed, right? We might have that kind of mindset. Um, you know, it's a mindset of trying to work harder to accept, for Jesus to accept you. It's a mindset to work better, do better, work harder, so that Jesus will accept you. That's the mindset that the Pharisees had, right? They wanted to work and do better so that God would be pleased with them. They wanted to be kind of self-righteous. Um, and we have this mindset today, right? And I, w I wanted to explain that. And this mindset has a name, and it's called legalism. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, but if you haven't, I'll give a, a brief definition of what legalism is. Legalism basically takes the law of God and puts it above having a right relationship with him. Right? It's the checking off the boxes. Did I do this today? Okay, I'm good. Did I do this today? Okay, God loves me. Right? It's checking off the boxes. It's putting the law of God above having a relationship with God. It's, in a way, in Christ, we know that we have been given every spiritual blessing. I forget where it says that, but it's in the Bible, if you want to look it up. We have been given every spiritual blessing, right? In legalism, we have to earn those blessings, right? We have to earn those blessings. So legalism clearly is bad, right? There's, you can clearly see the red flags when I describe what legalism is. Um, to give an analogy, think of your child. If you don't have a child, I'm in the same boat. Just imagine with me, right? Imagine your child, and you, you bought for them a gift on Christmas, okay? And say this gift is something pricey like a Nintendo Switch or something like that, something that's a little higher end and expensive. Um, and so you wrap it up all pretty, a nice little red bow and everything, and you give it to your child on Christmas, okay? And that child opens it up, and they're like, yes, I wanted this for so long. And then all of a sudden, they're like, okay, don't worry, Mom, or don't worry, Dad. I'm going to do more dishes. I'm going to go do more yard work. I'm going to, uh, I don't know, clean your clothes and, and do your laundry, whatever. I'm going to do all this stuff just so that I feel like I can have this gift. Right? Imagine just how that would make you feel as the parent. Right? You gave them this gift. You wanted them to enjoy this gift. And now they feel required to work to receive that gift. Right? That's what we do when we try to be legalistic about our faith. Right? Jesus has given us every spiritual blessing. He's given us salvation, this gift of grace, and we try to earn it instead of receive it. And that is a heavy burden. So the Pharisees placed this burden of legalism on the people, and Jesus is inviting people to have that burden relieved, to have that burden taken off. And he does the same for you today. He is telling you, you don't need to do more, right? You don't need to do more to be in right relationship with me. Of course, our mindset in that should be, I want to do more, right? I do want to do more. I want to read my Bible because I've been given such a great gift. That should be our mindset, of course, but it is not legalistic. It is not required, right? Um, and our natural inclination would to be grow more. I want to make that clear. I'm not, I'm not saying that you can just live your Christian life without Jesus and just be like, oh, I'm saved, I'm good. But you know what I mean. Okay, so Jesus knows about this yoke of the Pharisees, okay, this yoke that was put on the people. But I want to make this key distinction that he knows about this yoke, but he knows also just how much worse the yoke of sin was weighing on these people. Right, we see that he ultimately offers them rest for their souls. I think it says that in verse 29. 
And so I want to read this this passage or this text really quick. Mark 2, 7. Uh, I think it, it shows us why Jesus came. Like, what is the heart of Jesus? Why did he come to earth to save people? Why did he come to earth to lift burdens? Um, it says in Mark 2, 7, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, legalism is a lot like trying to be self-righteous, right? You're trying to earn your righteousness before God. And the reason that's bad, (laughs) one of the reasons, is that number one, you can't make yourself righteous, no matter how hard you try. The burden of self-righteousness is so much heavier, and it is impossible for us to bear. And number two, we see from this verse in Mark that Jesus didn't come for the self-righteous, but he came for sinners, for those who couldn't bear their burdens anymore. So if today you are burdened, if you're burdened by your sin or you're burdened by your legalism, trying to check off boxes, if you're burdened by those things, you feel yourself under that heavy yoke, I have really good news for you guys. Right? Jesus invites you here with all of your heavy burdens to come to him and find rest. Now, if you understand the weight of your burdens, which everyone knows how heavy their burdens are, right? Um, other people might not know, but you know how heavy your burdens are. If you feel that weight and you're still asking why, why does Jesus do this? How could he do this, right? That's too good news. That's, that news is too good to be true, right? If you're still saying that, if you're still asking why, why would he ever forgive a sinner of this incredible sin that he's, that he's committed, right? Sin, um, one theologian says that sin is cosmic treason. I think that's an excellent way to put it, right? It is, we are betraying a God, the God of the universe when we sin, right? He has commanded things of us and we don't do them, or we uh, do things that he commanded us to not do, right? We do these things against God, and it is cosmic treason. I think that, that carries the weight of what sin is. So you may be asking, why would he ever offer rest to someone with that many burdens? Well, that will get me to my third point here today, which is the inviter. Um, we, we, see, we see the inviter here in verse 29, the middle section of it, um, where he says, For I am gentle and lowly in heart. The two attributes that Jesus chose to use for what he was at heart is gentle and lowly. So let's define them, right? Let's, if, if, those, if these are the words that Jesus uses to describe himself and who he is at his very core, then let's figure out what they mean, right? Let's figure out what they mean. Um, first of all, gentle, right? I'm sure we know what gentle means, but let me just do my job here, right? Gentle is understanding, right? Gentle is slow to anger. Gentle is tender in temperament. Gentle is doing everything possible to not cause harm to something. It's not harsh. It's not reactionary. It's not easily exasperated or stressed out or uh, blows things out of proportion. You know, when I think of gentle, I think of how you'd handle a baby, right? I have a niece and a nephew. 
Um, they're both babies. One's one month. I think uh, my niece is seven, I believe. Um, so they're both very small babies, right? And when I'm holding them in my arms, my initial thought is, be gentle. This is fragile, <laughs> right? Like at any point, I could do harm to this thing, and I do not want that, right? I want to be gentle with this, this child, right? My last thought is to just be like, all right, I'm done holding them. Toss them on the couch, right? That's my last thought. I might be even sweating a little bit when I'm holding the baby because of how fragile they are, right? You know, this is great news for us because that's how Jesus sees you, Christian. He sees you as fragile, right? He, when he holds you in his arms, he says, be gentle. This is fragile, right? He knows who you are at your heart, and he chooses to be compassionate and, like I said before, tender in temperament, um, doing everything to keep safe and keep protected. That's how Jesus feels about you. That's what he means when he says that he is gentle at heart. Um, Dane Ortland has a, has a good kind of uh, quote about this where he says, the position most natural to him, talking of Jesus, is not a pointed finger, but open arms, right? That's the gentle savior that we have. Uh, the second one is lowly, right? Lowly, what does lowly mean? This is a less used word, but basically it just means meek or humble. Um, another one would be accessible, right? If you're lowly, you can, you can, you're accessible. You can get with that person, right? Um, there's no like earthly analogy I could give that would be sufficient to show the lowliness of Jesus. So I'm just going to go to Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Um, in this text, we see the lowliness, the humility of Christ when he came on earth. Um, I'm going to read that here. Uh, Philippians 2, 6 through 8, where it says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there we see the lowliness of Jesus, right? That in, that, in the first part, he says, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, right? Though Jesus was fully equal with God, he didn't take that privilege to, to earth. He forfeited that privilege and that, um, the glory that is due to him for that equality with God, right? He forfeited that, humbling himself to the point of his creatures, right? The God, the creator, has humbled himself to the point of his creature, okay? That's lowly, right? He, that's the lowest of the low. Um, what we see here in that Jesus, in all of his excellent glory, he gave that up to come to earth and to ultimately, like, like Paul says here, he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, right? The most hideous and um, debauched form of torture in, in that time, right? Um, he humbled himself even to that point. So we see that Jesus in all of his excellent glory is still the most approachable and humble person known to man. That's what it means that he is lowly in heart. So we define the two attributes here. Um, what does it mean that he is these things? He is gentle and he is lowly. What does it mean that he is these things at heart? In order to understand that, we need to understand what the biblical view of the heart is, okay? So 
Um, what, is, what is the biblical view of the heart? Let's, let's look at this a little bit. Um, when the Bible talks about the heart, it rarely refers to just the blood-pumping organ, okay? That's, it's almost never what it refers to completely. Um, but what it refers to is, um, is desires, thoughts, emotions, memory. Remember, the Bible was written in ancient times, so it's going to have an ancient view of things, right? In the ancient times, they viewed the heart as basically the brain with the heart mixed together, right? The, the storehouse of the thoughts, storehouse of memories, right? All these things, that's what they saw the heart as. Really, the heart was the core of the person. Basically, what, where the desires come from is from the heart, uh, to give a little example of this, uh, Matthew 15, 19 um, says basically what desires come from the human heart, right? What is the core of humanity? Um, this is very interesting. It says, Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So out of the human heart comes sin, right? That down to our core the most natural posture for us humans is to sin. The human heart is the factory and the storehouse of all of our sins, right? It, it is where sin is manufactured. It's where sin uh, is shipped out from. It is the core of who we are is sin. We are sinful people. The posture most natural to us is to sin. Um, so with that idea of the heart, what is Jesus saying about his heart. When he says that he is at heart gentle and lowly, we see here that the things that proceed from Jesus' heart are not evil thoughts, are not murder, adultery, sexual immorality, and so on, but instead the things that come out of Jesus' heart, the core of who he is, is gentleness and lowliness. You know, these two attributes, again, are the attributes that Jesus himself decided to describe himself as in heart in the core of who he was he if asked who are you would say gentle and lowly right that is what he uses in this text so the key the key point that i'm trying to get away here is that in jesus's heart in his innermost being he is the gentle and lowly burden-bearing savior right in his very heart that is who he is now, the posture most natural to us was to sin, right? The posture most natural and the, the drive of his innermost being for Jesus is to be gentle. In our innermost being, we desire to do wrong. In Jesus' innermost being, he desires to be lowly and humble towards you, to be a servant towards you. So friends, this is the heart of your Savior, right? That he does not cast you away. He doesn't treat you the way that your sins deserve. But his natural inclination is to be gentle and compassionate towards you. You know, I asked earlier, why would Jesus ever forgive a sinner? I said that a few minutes ago. I didn't answer it because I'm going to let Jesus answer it. Why would Jesus ever forgive a sinner? Jesus, Jesus answers, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. So, again, if you're still asking how, because if you know the weight of your burdens, and you do, if you know the weight of your burdens, you know that that weight is 
it's too much for you to bear. Why would Jesus bear that? How could he possibly manage to take our burdens upon himself and offer us rest? Well, if you're still thinking that way, I want to give you some encouragement here. Um, What we tend to do as human beings, I'm one of you, (laughs) as human beings, we tend to create a God that is similar to us. Right? In our minds, we can only conceptualize things that are like us. Right? So when we think of God, we give him attributes like us. We compare him to us. What that ends up doing is creating a God that would be wrathful against sinners and always punishing every single sin because that's just and that's the way things should be. Right? That's the kind of God we create in our head. And when we do that, you know, it's very true that God is a God who punishes sin, of course. Um, but if we only focus on that part, we're creating a false God in our minds. And so what we desperately need to do when we start creating a God in our own minds who, you know, is like us in, in too similar to us in many of our attributes, when we start doing that, we need to look to the word of God to see who he truly is and who, how God defines himself. We need to look to see how God defines himself. So, what does the word say about the tenderness of our God towards his children? Well, I want to look at this text in the Old Testament, Hosea 11, 8 through 9. Um, The book of Hosea is a mess. (laughs) If you've ever been through it, Israelites are going crazy, okay? They are inviting in false gods into the temple of God and worshiping them, um, God in this book compares what Israel is doing to him like an adulterous wife, okay? So we see just how terrible Israel is in this moment. And we see that Jesus, or or God, I'm sorry, same thing, but you know what I mean. Um, God is, has, he doesn't have a change of heart, but we see a reflection of who he truly is. You know, Israel in this moment deserves nothing but wrath and to be utterly destroyed. But we see in Hosea 11, 8 through 9, how God feels about his children. Um, the, this, there's this word in here, Ephraim, which is just another word for Israel. In the time, Israel was split into two, and there was Ephraim and Israel, but they're the same God's people. So when I read this, that's what he means when he says that. So Hosea 11, 8 through 9 says, this is God speaking through Hosea. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim, which were cities in Sodom and Gomorrah? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Israel in the depths of their burdensome sin, right, the lowest of the low, had, God had every right to give up on them and abandon them, but that is not who he is at heart. Who he is at heart is gentle and lowly towards his sinning creatures and children. So, you know, looking inwardly and creating that God in our head, when we do that, We can only expect wrath from God. We can only expect that 
we that justice would be served every time, right? That that punishment would come upon the sinner himself, because that is what is just. In our hearts towards someone we who sinned against us as humans, we would respond in that way, right? We would respond in revenge and in anger. But we see looking inwardly, that's what we can expect. But looking at Jesus, we can expect nothing but his tender love and gentle forgiveness towards us. Right? In Jesus' heart, he is prone to gentle, tender compassion towards his children. So, what we see here, connecting this passage together, that he is gentle and lowly in heart, that he is offering rest and he's inviting us. That's what we've covered so far, right? Seeing all that together, we see that the root of Jesus' invitation, the invitation that we saw at the beginning, the invitation that says, come to me, the root of that is the fact that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And now, because we know that he's gentle and lowly in heart, we also can see that the yoke that he offers to give us is a light yoke. Um, it causes us, that yoke that we carry, the yoke of Christ, causes us to find real rest. And so that's my final point, real rest. We see this in verse 29 um, the, the end of it through verse 30, where he says, And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. From, from this, we see that Jesus' yoke gives us real rest. It gives us, number one, real rest now, real rest in the present those who come to him, who have accepted his invitation, have real rest now, okay? How do we know this? We don't immediately see it from the passage, but when we come to Jesus, we know that we have real rest in our lives right now because of verses like Romans 5.1, which says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans 8.1-2, through 2, excuse me, it says, um, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of, of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So there, especially Romans 8 right there says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Right? We have real rest now because of what Jesus has given us in the gospel. How he has given us his light burden and his light yoke. When you take Jesus' yoke upon yourself, in that moment, right, in that very moment, these things become true of you. That you are justified, like it says in Romans. That you are at peace with God. Right? Those things happen immediately when you accept the invitation of Jesus. Peace with God, right, like we talked about in Romans 5.1, peace with God is true rest. In your life now, you can bask in the joy of your salvation, right? You have been freed from the burden of your sin and the burden of your legalism. And now in this life, you can live joyfully, right? Because you have been set free. You have real rest now. Again, don't try to earn this rest. This rest has been given to you as a gift. Don't now try to check off the boxes so that you can receive that rest because that's not how it works that's not how gifts work right that's not how grace works so don't try to work for it accept that rest and live in that rest that that jesus has given you um, through his sacrifice
Okay, so we have real rest now. And then finally, we have real rest forever. This yoke of the Pharisees that we talked about a minute ago, the legalism, it was very demanding and laborsome, right? The people had to remember, remember the 600 regulations about that one law, right? That, that was a heavy weight to bear, right? And Jesus knows about this. He knows about this yoke. And so when he offers a lighter yoke, that's very appealing to those people, right? They're like, man, I don't want this Pharisee yoke anymore. Jesus is offering us something better, something lighter than the yoke that we're currently under. And we see here that um, Jesus offering a better life, a better eternity. And this, this can be a little bit, um, it can be a little bit conflicting in our heads, right? Because is Jesus' yoke really easy is the question that might be going through your mind right now. Because Christian living is difficult, isn't it? Christian living is a, is a hard thing, a difficult thing for us. It, is, it seems to be a heavy yoke, right? Verses like uh, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, indeed, all who desire to live godly, to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, First um, John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Okay, so we see here, you know, if you live godly, if you live a godly life, you are going to be persecuted and the world's going to hate you. Doesn't seem very light, does it? If you feel that way right now, and I did while, read, while studying this text, right? I felt this way, so I had to dig deeper. If you do feel that yoke, I want to encourage you to look to your eternity. Uh, Matthew 19, 29. um, Just gives us a really good picture of what we can expect in eternity. Um, It says, And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or children, or lands, for, um, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. First um, Peter 1, verse, uh, verses 4, and then skip to verse 6. It says, um, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. In this, re- in this we rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So do you think that your sacrifices and your Christian living right now is difficult? Do you think that way? Look at what you receive for your sacrifices here on earth. The Matthew verse, if you leave, if you give up family members, you have to give up people that are close to you in order to to, uh, advance the gospel or God's name. If you have to give up those things, you will receive 100-fold in heaven, right? That's what Jesus is promising those who sacrifice now. Um. The other verse, First <laughs> Peter, right? It says um, that we are receiving in, in eternity, we are receiving an, an inheritance that is in, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, right? That inheritance to live forever with God in heaven, right? To receive 100-fold recompense for what we give up here on earth. It's truly truly shows us that Jesus' burden, Jesus' yoke, is light. The burden of your sacrifice is very small 
compared to the glory that lies ahead for you, Christian. His yoke is truly light. Okay. In conclusion, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot to take in, right? I have some good and bad news for unbelievers in the room. So, first of all is the bad news, okay? There is a burden that lays heavy on you today. And it lays far heavier on you than things like legalism, okay? This burden is the burden of sin and death, and it is real, right? This, this burden lays heavy on you if you are apart from Christ. Romans six twenty three, the first part of it says, For the wages of sin is death. Or in other words, the burden on you now is death. And what you deserve and what you will receive for the sins that you've committed is death, eternal death as well, apart from Christ in hell. But thank God that verse doesn't end there, right? Romans 6, uh, 23, the last half of it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus who on the cross took your, lo- your yoke of sin upon himself, a yoke which was not easy, a yoke which was heavy laden, which was burdensome. Not only did he take your yoke of sin upon you, but he took the yoke of the full wrath of God, which was against you for that sin. He took those yokes, and he died on the cross. Right? He died bearing the yoke on your behalf, and he paid the wages for your sin. When he rose again three days later, he secured for you that inheritance that I talked about a minute ago. Right? That 100-fold recompense for our sacrifices, that um, that unity with God forever and ever. He secured that for you. Now, I want to extend the same invitation that Jesus extended. Right? He says, come to me. And so I extend that invitation to you if you're an unbeliever in this room. Come to him. Right? You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to take the burdens off of yourself. That's his job. (laughs) He'll take care of it. Bring your sin, bring your shame, bring your burdens, and find rest for your weary souls in the gentle and lowly Savior. It doesn't end there, though. Of course, as we said there, um, Jesus, in his invitation, is, is come to me, and I will give you rest, but also take my yoke upon you. Live for him, right? Take his yoke upon you. It is so much lighter than the yoke of sin and death. Now finally, for believers, um, I have two, two applications for you. Number one is you have permission to rest. Okay? And this permission isn't coming from me. <laughs> this permission is coming from Jesus. Right? He says, come to me and I will give you rest. You have permission to rest. Your sin is forgiven. Your debt has been paid. Your biggest burden has been lifted. So rest in Jesus. Right? He offers you rest right now. Rest in him. Don't let legalism burden you. Let that drive you to know him better and to study him better and to get to grow your relationship with him better and better. And finally, secondly, if you're a believer in this room as well, maybe you feel as though you have sinned too much. 
right? Maybe you feel like, oh, this invitation isn't for me because I've sinned my way out of a relationship with him. I want to encourage you that this invitation is still for you, that Jesus still offers rest for you, that he is still telling you, come to me, I will take your burdens and give you rest. Dane Ortland again, um, another quote from him, talking about this, if we feel burdened by the weight of our sin as Christians. Um, he says, what elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether the sinner comes to him. I'm going to read that one more time. What elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether the sinner comes to him. So Christian, if you, if you feel that burden of sin, come to him. It's the same invitation that I've given everyone here, right? That Jesus is offering to everyone here is to come to him and find rest. So learn the heart of your Savior, Christian, that he is gentle and lowly, right? That he's inviting you to rest and have eternal rest as well for your souls. He's inviting you to have that. He even extends this offer to his children who have carried the burden of their sin for too long, right? He offers this same rest. So an invitation to everyone in this room, come to him. He will give you rest. So I hope that you can claim this promise that Jesus offers here, right? He offers rest for those who, who need it, who are burdened down with their sin. Um, he offers rest for them. And that all who come to him will find rest. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you, Lord, Lord Jesus, just for who you are, God, Lord, that you are gentle and you are lowly towards us, God. You are compassionate towards us, slow to anger towards us. God, you know our hearts and our minds, and yet you still extend this invitation to us to come to you and to find rest. So, Father, I just pray that in this room, God, that you would burden our hearts to come to you. Um, Lord, that you would give us true rest now and true rest eternally. Um, God, all we must do is come to you. So I pray that you would embolden hearts to come to you today. Um, it's in your name I pray. Amen.